Chapter fourteen of William an Englishman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. William an Englishman by Cicely Hamilton. Chapter fourteen. Edith Haynes knew her way about Paris, and the little hotel in a quiet side street where a taxi deposited herself and her companion was one that had sheltered her in days less eventful and strenuous and where madame in consequence was compassionate and not contemptuous at being asked to shelter two late arrivals in the last stage of dirt and untidiness william before he sat down to eat had exchanged his torn garments for the suit of an absent son called up on the first day of mobilization and for all his ache and dull stupor of sorrow he knew something of the blessing of bodily relief when he washed in hot water and was clean he had had no real sleep since the night before griselda died now the need for it came down on him like a heavy cloud and great as was also his need for food he could hardly keep his eyes open through supper when he woke next morning it was nearing midday and he had more than slept the clock round he pressed the bell as he had been told to do when he woke and with the coffee and rolls that arrived at the summons came a pencilled note from his mentor she had gone out to look up her relatives and also to inquire about the time and manner of the journey from paris to london she wrote that she might not be back at the hotel for some hours but the envelope that enclosed her communication enclosed likewise a tactfully proffered loan for the immediate needs of her fellow-traveller's wardrobe but for the reminder it would have hardly occurred to him that his wardrobe was in need of renewal he had grown so accustomed in the last long days to being ordered guided or driven that he had lost the habit of directing his own doings as it was he breakfasted dressed himself again in the suit of madame's absent son and was instructed by madame herself where to find a barber for an overdue shave and an outfitter capable of english thither he went made his purchases mechanically and returned to the hotel with his new suit of black in a parcel it seemed to him as he walked the paris streets as he bought and paid and spoke of things that did not matter that his sense of loss and his longing for griselda was stronger even than in the first hours after her death it was accentuated by his contact with the civilized the normal by the sights and sounds of the everyday world to which griselda belonged she had had no place in the strange french village where she died no place in the misery and dirt of the crowded truck but here where life to all seeming was as usual where the streets were like enough to english streets to produce after country solitude and the savagery of bloodshed the illusion of dear familiarity here she should have walked with her arm in his here she would have chatted have gazed in shop windows and bargained and long years faced him with their deadly never as he went his way without her later when he had returned to the hotel and changed into his new black suit a wild fit of useless rage came over him and alone in his third-floor bedroom he cursed the devils who had killed his wife the devils who had made the war under his breath lest he should be heard in the corridor he called down the vengeance of god on their evil heads breaking inevitably as his own store of invective gave out into lyrical reminiscence of that biblical lore with which his mother had imbued him through sunday after sunday of his childhood believing in the god whose existence he had usually ignored and often doubted 
because of his need of an avenger and a present help in his trouble in that moment the god whom he sought and it may be found was the lord god of hosts the mighty one of israel who was wont to strike the wicked and spare not and the desire of his shaken and rebellious soul was even as the desire of him who sang out his hatred by the alien waters of babylon the hotel chambermaid put an end to his whispered prayer and anathema by tapping on the door to inform him that lunch was waiting on the table edith haynes when she returned in the late afternoon with news that the journey could be made on the following day by way of dieppe and folkestone found him clad in his new-bought mourning for griselda and poring over english newspapers his eyes were still haggard and moved her to pity but she took it as a good sign that his stupor of grief had passed and that he had begun as his first question told her to feel a need for more information which might bridge the month's gap in his knowledge of the outer world she gave him with such detail as she had in her possession the story of the outbreak of war and the causes thereof and from her he learned for the first time of the ultimatum to servia and the tension thereby created of the political consequences of the invasion of belgium and the feverish days of hesitation in england that had ended on the fourth of august with the formal declaration of war he listened sometimes puzzled but always intent from time to time putting a question that revealed his blank ignorance of the network of european politics to which she replied as clearly as she could showing him maps and talking on in the hope of distracting him from the thoughts behind his haggard eyes by degrees she gleaned from his hesitating queries and disconnected comments some understanding not only of his profound ignorance of the forces that had brought about the war but of the upheaval of his mind and soul which was the direct and inevitable consequence of the loss of his former faith once or twice as they talked he quoted her scraps and jerks of anti-militarist propaganda from faraday from orators of the trades union congress from a speech of philip snowden's in parliament urging the reduction of the navy and she saw that he was trying to justify to himself his attitude and creed of yesterday in the midst of a quotation from faraday on the general's strike as a certain preventive of war he broke off suddenly to appeal to her with everyone thought he was right he seemed so sure i didn't see how he could be wrong she noticed that wherever their talk might stray he came back time and again to his central fact that the blankly impossible had happened and the jest was a brutal truth that in the beginning was all his mind had laid hold of now the first stage of amazement over he was groping instinctively and perhaps unconsciously after rights and wrongs of quarrel and striving to understand how the impossible had come into existence edith haynes had not passed her life in the atmosphere of internationalism and would have been more than human had she been an impartial guide to him where the causes of war were concerned just as he would have been more than human had he been capable of impartial guidance what he lacked in patriotism he made up in personal suffering he hated the german because he had been robbed of his wife and it added but little to the fire of his hatred to learn of faith broken with belgium if he listened intently when she told of it if he pored over newspaper paragraphs dealing with german cruelty to the conquered it was because they fitted with his mood and justified the loathing in his soul it was his persistent poring over english newspapers 
that brought him in the end the salvation of a definite purpose an article in the daily chronicle some days old described the beginning of the recruiting campaign for the raising of kitchener's army he read it as he read everything else that explained or described the war at first the article was nothing but news to him a mere statement of facts but as he read further a meaning flamed into the news bereft as he was of guidance his mind swinging rudderless in chaos he was waiting unconsciously for the man or the impulse that could seize on his helpless emotion and give purpose and direction to his life thus the journalist's vigorous appeal to the nation's patriotism was driven home by the force of his own experience and became an appeal to himself the writer had illustrated his argument in the obvious manner by reference to the condition of invaded belgium and the suffering of her people under the hand and heel of the enemy he wrote of women outraged of hostages killed of cities laid waste and of houses fired with intention he was spurred by indignation by pity and a natural patriotism and had laid on his colours to all but william with a vivid and forcible pen to william as he read the result seemed lame and pitiful an inadequate babbling of the living horrors that had burned themselves into his soul but for all its weakness perhaps because of it the article gave him the impulse for which he had been waiting in torment it may have been his very sense of the inadequacy with which it described what he had known that set his imagination to work that drove home its purport and made of it a lead to his blind and whirling emotions he read and re-read while he quivered with impatience at its failure if the man had seen what he had seen if the man had lost what he had lost he could not have argued so tamely his pen would have been dipped in fire he would have written so that all men reading him would have rushed to arms the paper dropped from his hands to the table and he sat staring at a picture of his own making of a crowd bitter and determined moved by the tale of wrongdoing to a righteous and terrible wrath he saw it setting forth to execute justice and avenge innocent blood and himself one of it spurring and urging it on so he first visualized himself as a soldier an unscientific combatant of the homeric pattern but nevertheless a soldier the vision thrilled and inspired him and out of the deep waters of his impotent misery he clutched at the knowledge that he could act resent resist that ceasing to suffer as the slave suffers he could give back blow for blow there was enough of the old leaven in him to bring him up suddenly and with something like a round turn as he realized that the act of striking blow for blow against the german would involve the further act of enlistment and the wearing of the king's uniform his first mental vision of his warrior crowd had been vague as well as homeric he had only seen faces uplifted by courage not the khaki and buttons below them seeing himself rather as an avenger of griselda than as a soldier of the british empire but it was only for a moment that he shied like a nervous horse at the bogey of the hired assassin the prophets from whom he had learned his one-time contempt for the soldier were no longer prophets to him and his conversion was the more thorough from his ingrained and extremist conviction that the opposite of wrong must be right conversion in the sense in which the word is employed by the religious describes most clearly the process through which he had passed conviction of ignorance the burden of christian a sense of blind longing and humiliated confusion and now at the end light flashed on him suddenly 
salvation figured by the sword it was so to speak but a partial salvation he had lost his capacity for absolute faith for the rapture that comes of infallibility but he was of all men the last who could live without guidance and his new creed had at least this merit it was supported by his own experience its articles had he formulated them would have been negative rather than assertive i have ceased to believe in the old rather than i believe in the new but it gave him that working hypothesis without which life to him was impossible when he took his seat next morning in the train bound for dieppe his mind was made up made up fiercely and definitely on his future course of action and as a result something that was by comparison peace had succeeded to the chaos and dazed rebellion of his first few hours of loss his companion noticed the change in his manner and bearing it was not that he seemed more resigned but that he had ceased to drift his eyes were as haggard as yesterday but not so vague and purposeless so far during their brief but close acquaintance she had treated him perforce as she would have treated a child providing for his bodily and mental needs and giving him kindly orders now ignorant and obedient as he still was in the matter of foreign travel he was once more a reasonable being he was still for the most part sunk in his own thoughts but not helplessly and endlessly so he was capable of being roused and at intervals he roused himself once when they halted she was struck by the intentness with which he gazed at a trainload of soldiers in khaki new come from england and moving up from havre to the front they crossed at a wayside station and the two trains stood side by side for some minutes while william craned out of the window to stare at the brown young faces that were thrust from the opposite carriages the sight moved him if not in the same fashion as it moved his companion he felt no tightening of the throat and no pride in the men themselves what kept his head at the window till the train moved off was chiefly the thought that soon he would be even as these sun-browned men of war the personal desire to know what manner of men they were how they lived and moved and had their daily military being hitherto a soldier of the home-grown variety had been to him nothing more definite than an impression of uniform khaki and occasionally red now with the eyes of his new-born interest he became aware of detail that had formerly escaped him and compared him in figure in face and garment with heinz and heinz's companions these hot-faced lads smoking pipes and calling jests would be his own comrades in days to come thus he studied their features their dress their manner as a small boy scans and studies the bearing of his future schoolfellows if he did not thrill at the sight of young men about to die he sent with them remembering griselda his strong desire for their great and terrible victory those were the days just before mons was fought when france and others with her was hopeful of a war that would end at her frontier and beyond it when whatever her wiser soldiers may have known her people in general had no premonition of the coming retreat of the allied armies and the coming peril of the capital there were still some ignorant and optimistic days to live before france as a whole would be stunned by the curt official admission that the enemy was well within her borders since his battle line stretched across the country from the vosges mountains to the somme as for railway communication on the western lines the rush of returning tourists that had followed on the outbreak of war was over and the rush from paris that began with the new threat of kluck's advance was as yet a thing of the future 
thus william and his companion though they travelled slowly and with lengthy halts travelled in comparative comfort finding an unpunctuality and a measure of overcrowding but little to grumble at after their journey by cattle truck to paris rouen kept them waiting an hour or two and there was another long purposeless halt on the boat in dieppe harbour so that it was nigh upon sundown when they slipped into the channel and headed northwestward for folkestone the day very calm with the stillness of perfect summer was even as that day but a month ago when william and his little bride had steamed away from dover sitting deck-chair to deck-chair touching hands when they thought no one saw them and remembering the fading of those other white cliffs william's heart cried out against god it was well past midnight when they slid into folkestone harbour where again there were long delays so long that morning was red over france when the train drew away from the pier it was during the two-hour journey to charing cross that william first spoke to his friend of his purpose of becoming a soldier they were not by themselves in the carriage but the other occupants nodded off to sleep soon after the train had left folkestone and for all practical purposes he and edith haynes were alone she was surprised by the announcement more surprised perhaps than she should have been less on account of his previous record than because his appearance and manner were so utterly unmilitary the british soldier of pre-war days was a type a man of a class apart it was a type and class to which william tully was far from approximating and she found it impossible to picture his essentially civilian countenance between a khaki collar and cap her surprise must have shown in her manner for he began to explain in jerks it seems the only thing to do he said you can't sit down and let it go on when you've seen what i've seen you've got to do what you can and they want men they're asking for them the papers say they want all the men they can get it's got to be stopped that devilry somehow or another and there doesn't seem any other way his voice tailed off and he turned his eyes away to the flying fields where the dew was still wet and the shadows still long upon the grass when a few minutes later he told her suddenly it was just as pretty as this where it happened she knew that he was mentally transforming the peace and greenery of a kentish landscape in the background of such an imitation of hell as he had lived through in the forest of arden it was not till they were well on the london side of tonbridge that he turned again to his companion something that she had said in appreciation of his decision a kindly meant phrase that commended his courage had seemingly been held in his mind i don't want you to think it's courage and i don't want you to think i'm making any sacrifice i'm not i'm enlisting because i want to enlist and there isn't anything else for me to do everything's gone now i haven't anything to go back to no duties or i don't see how you can call it a sacrifice he swallowed and halted again and she could only nod in silence she knew enough of him by this time to know that what he said was truth having learned in the course of their days of acquaintanceship that he had lost even more than his newly made wife his hopes of a home and children in very deed he had nothing to go back to neither home nor daily occupation in losing his cocksure infallible creed he had lost the interest wherewith his days had been filled his meetings his busy committees the whole paraphernalia of his agitator's life were with yesterday's seven thousand years even if griselda had not died he knowing what he knew would have had to begin life again near chislehurst reminded of the nearness of london he put an apologetic question 
you'll think me very ignorant he said but you see i've never had anything to do with soldiers have you any idea how you set about joining the army she explained that he had only to offer himself and turned up an english newspaper bought the day before at dieppe to point out a paragraph giving the situation of the various london recruiting stations he studied it with interest and showed her that the nearest to charing cross was a station on the horse guards parade she had not understood that his intention was to enlist at the moment of arrival in london and suggested a delay of a day or two for rest if not for reflection the life before him was a hard one physically and he had been passing through a week of exhaustion both physical and mental to her arguments he shook his head stubbornly impatient he was so urgent to translate his new convictions into immediate action that it was with difficulty she prevailed on him to delay at charing cross for breakfast and only manoeuvred him into the hotel by assuring him whether rightly or wrongly she knew not that it was as yet far too early in the day for any recruiting official to be at his post on that assurance he yielded and they took their last meal together she had contracted an odd species of affection for the little bereft and destitute man whom chance had thrown on her hands in his hour of need it was difficult for her to rid herself of a sense of responsibility for him and his doings and as they disposed of their eggs and bacon she found herself wondering with tears in her throat how he could come through the discipline and hardship for which his soft life had done so little to prepare him it was pathetic and even ridiculous to think of him as a soldier this wisp of a town-bred talker to think of him marching and bearing arms in defence of such as herself who topped him by a good two inches and had treated him almost as a child she coaxed him to eat a good breakfast dawdling over her own that he should sit and rest the longer and when he suddenly remembered to ask her how much he owed her for the expenses of the last few days she gave him with a hastily invented amount her address in somerset and made him promise to write and keep her informed of his doings he on his part shrinking instinctively from those who had shared his errors in the old life clung to her as the one person who understood the new world into which he had so lately entered understood it because she was part of it thus neither was unmoved when they shook hands as friends and parted at the door of the hotel she entered a taxi for paddington and he turned his face to whitehall and the tent on the horse guards parade as he walked down whitehall his heart thudded loudly on his ribs he remembered with a sudden tremor of rage how heinz had boasted of his kaiser at westminster and a german entry into london the very thought made london dearer and finer to him and he had a vision of himself driving heinz before him heinz and that other the round-faced young man with black eyebrows who had worked his will on griselda he saw himself striking and stabbing at the round-faced young man beating him down while he prayed in terror for a mercy that was not granted his lips were a hard white line and his fingers clenched and unclenched london by god it should be not london but berlin he had never dreamed of rejection he knew vaguely that recruits were required to pass some sort of medical examination but the idea that his proffered services might be refused had never entered his head edith haynes like himself had seen few english newspapers for weeks thus he did not know till he came to enlist that the standard of measurement for recruits had been raised since the outbreak of war and that he standing under five foot five was not up to the army's requirements in the matter of breadth and inches 
the knowledge took him like a blow between the eyes and he stood with dropped jaw incredulous it was inhuman it was monstrous that they should take from him his right to strike back for a moment he had no words he dressed mechanically stupid with the shock while the round-faced man grinned damnably over griselda dead by the roadside and when in the end his speech came back and he tried to stammer an appeal someone patted him good-naturedly on the shoulder put his hat into his hand and turned him loose into a world that had no meaning for him end of chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine